Hey everyone, in a second you'll hear from Professor Valerie Vogren, but first, a quick word for our listeners about Southern Illinois University Edwardsville's annual literary magazine, Southwester. For over 55 years, Southwester has been the home for both new and established writers of fiction, poetry, and creative nonfiction. Find out more about the magazine at southwester.org and learn about submission guidelines through Submittable. Enjoy the show! Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Writers in the World. I'm your host, Grant Deem, and with me today is winner of the Spokane Prize for Short Fiction and author of the novel Shebang, Valerie Vogren. Professor Vogren also teaches writing and literature here at SIUE. Valerie, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking with you, Grant. Excellent. So, Valerie, um, I see our conversation today uh, going in a couple different directions, but first I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, our MFA program and maybe your experience um, in your pursuit of an MFA. We're in the middle of fall here, so students are uh, starting to look at programs, apply, and so I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit to uh, your journey through graduate school, maybe the ups, the downs, what you remember from the application process. Okay. Well, um, as you know, I think you and I have discussed this in the past. I, um, right out of college, was interested in pursuing an MFA. Um, I, you know, did a fair amount of research and decided on a program, um, and I, you know, was accepted. Was really excited about that. But I mean, part of it. Um, so I went to. I ended up going to Boulder University, of Colorado, in Boulder, and at that time it was an MA program, and I. It was two things. I mean, several things just happened. One was I. I didn't fall in love with Boulder as like almost everyone else in the world does, so that makes me a freak. But the other thing was is like I thought I I didn't really know have any idea what to expect, and what I found was that um, it the people, the faculty, and the other students really weren't writing the kinds of things that I was writing, and so there was sort of a disconnect. I mean, I I made great friends, and I was having kind of a a positive experience like one-on-one -on -one with different people and, and actually in taking poetry classes and poetry workshops but in terms of my fiction I was really I just kind of had a sort of a dead end and I wasn't digging boulder but I was really stubborn and I stuck out for a year and a half and until finally I had kind of a wake-up moment in a professor's office um, my so would who would have been my thesis advisor and you know kind of looking at him he had a pile of my work on his desk and he just kind of looked at me with a blank expression sort of like you know, said something to the effect of, I really, I just don't really know what to say to you about your writing. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, this is your job, you know. Yeah. But but I also understood that maybe I had been getting that message, but I mean, but hadn't gotten it directly, you know. So finally I heard it and I just, I pulled up my stakes and I was out of there. I mean, it was in April or something. So, I mean, I finished out the semester, sure. but I mean, yeah. I just pulled up everything and left because I just finally got it. Like, I mean, even though I was conceivably within a semester of getting the the master's degree, I just like this was not gonna. This is not how I wanted to. to I did not envision this as being my graduate school right, experience. Yeah. So I I went back to Seattle and and spent a year, uh, um, 
working and then doing a different kind of research and kind of check, you know, checking my assumptions and, and things like that, thinking more about, you know, looking at so that the, my advice then based on that experience is, you know, to think about the things that are most important to you. I mean, so one of them might be place. Um, I mean, I couldn't have known that I wasn't going to like Boulder, um, but but you know, you thinking about how important place is mm-hmm. to you as a as a as a person, right? And so looking at that. But I think really um, thinking about the kinds of people that you want to work with. Um, I I probably was as a young person. I think you know overly impressed with people's credentials and people having, you know, a certain reputation or a certain amount of esteem and not recognizing yet, um, having not really not been the teacher myself, that those things don't necessarily correspond. I mean, there are certainly great writers who, you know, and well-published writers who are great teachers, but that's not a rule. So, um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? The, um, yeah, so I think looking at, first of all, looking at the people, the writers, you know, the schools that you're looking to apply to, seeing the kinds of things they're writing, the things that are exciting to them, and then getting a sense, I mean, talking to students who go there, finding out what kind of um, teacher, how are they as teachers, I mean, what what's their style, is that going to mesh with you, um, and then, um, and then, I guess, fast forwarding here a minute past that process that you know that to just to take the pressure off yourself that you know you'll make a good choice based on what you have at hand like if you have if you're lucky enough to have a choice of several schools at the end of the day that you're accepted to that um there's many there's multiple right answers and that if you end up someplace and it doesn't feel right then there's no you haven't you haven't ruined your life you know you can pick up you can start over um there's no harm done and that's part of your experience then right so I did end up um, finding a you know a program that suited me much better in terms of the kind of work that the professors were doing. The professors at where I went next were not as um, you know on their credentials in terms of like you know people they weren't known writers things like that, but they were very they were teachers who were very interested invested in their students' work you know which is really the important thing you know yeah. so um, yeah. So better fit. Yeah, yeah, better fit the second right. with, the, with the change. Right. So, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, in terms of the whole applying to graduate school thing, I mean, I think there's there's so many angles and there's so, fortunately, there's so many resource, resources out there for, for people to, to see, you know, yes, the kinds of schools yeah. there are, what they offer, what's unique about them. I think, um, I guess so the main thing that I would ask people to consider Um, as they're going through this process is just, you know, being realistic about what they expect to get out of an MFA. Um, That if you, I mean, you know, so my perspective, and now as a professor, you know, in an MFA program is that, you know, the the students who will find the the experience to be most positive are those who, you know, are there because they do well with deadlines, they want to make writing a priority for this next period of time in their life, and probably above all are really looking for a writing community, um, you know, to have this shared experience with other, you know, people, writers who are beginning their careers. Um, And I think that, um, so that that requires like a certain self-awareness that, even though you're doing it for yourself, like that thing about writing community, I mean, it's a double-edged thing because you it means you're making a commitment to other people's 
writing and so that it isn't all about you and Mm -hmm. so if that's a kind of I mean I just think some people don't really understand that ahead of time how how time consuming and just how much energy it takes to make a create to community I mean it's the best thing in the world if you if you create it and and you thrive in that but there's other kinds of communities besides academic communities and there's other kinds of ways to get feedback and have those relationships besides the the graduate workshop you know so you have to you know you want to you want to be thinking about those those kinds of things too so um no I think that's such a good point to make uh just to, just in people in and all for writers even in programs right now, but certainly for those that are considering uh programs is yeah what does it what what are you hoping to get out of it i think is is sort of an obvious question, but one that I'm not sure you know I could have answered exactly other than oh, I just want to get you know I want to boost my abilities like as a writer, I want to get better at writing and i I was very excited about the community aspect too like right in a community of writers so but it shouldn't be your default thing like you don't know what else to do with your life, so right you go to grad school yeah, yeah. or it shouldn't be because you think it's going to guarantee a certain you know path you know right. like the the path of publication, the path of you know what end up, what you end up doing to support yourself those are separate questions really from the m f a not yeah. that an m f a can't help you along the your way but there's no absolutely no guarantees of any result you know um so that's something yeah yeah to keep in mind so valerie you've been a part of the SOUE community since 2003 and are of course part of the foundation that makes up our new mfa here and so i'm wondering what are some highlights from that time here at SIUE? What's what's sort of kept you here? What have you found rewarding about your work um, at SIUE and in teaching um, at SIUE? And and is there anything unique to our campus or program that uh, that has made teaching here and being a part of this community here more worthwhile? Well. There's a couple of things I would say. I mean, one is that I'm a product of, of public education, you know, of of state schools, and I am really, I'm committed, I mean, I think that they provide an excellent education, and as a, as a school that's so, somewhat of a regional school, um, I'm interested in, I mean, I've been, I just really, I enjoyed for many years working with undergrads and grad students who are from here, you know, who are people who might be first generation students, people um, who are place bound, people who might not necessarily have been able to pursue a graduate degree because they had other responsibilities or they wanted, really wanted to stay in the Midwest or this particular part of the region. As it happens, um, even though Edwardsville has like sort of the, the the lovely qualities of, of sort of, you know, friendliness and prettiness and low crime, that those kind of things that make like daily life sort of, you know, pretty low key. I mean, being so close to St. Louis has been a huge boon and I've been really blessed by having, you know, people in the region sort of support my work, support our students, support, you know, so much so much programming, readings and different things that have um, made it a stimulating place to to live that I wouldn't have known just looking at it on the map. You know that how how that would work out. Um, having you know an MFA is starting an MFA. It was um, you know we hope that this is going to serve our students well. I mean we hope that the unique features that you know we've developed, um, well pr- primarily the writer in the world will will be something that will set uh, set us apart, but also something that will provide. Um, a real unique, yeah, a real unique experience for our students. I think 
we have had the literary magazine Southwester that I've been edited, done, been prose editor on and off for many years, and um, kind of kept it alive in many ways. Not be, I mean because we saw a future for it with more grad student involvement, and so that's kind of exciting to think about that in the future and sort of just thinking about. Yeah, I mean, all the ways in which what I do as a writer and then what does I do as a teacher, you know, sort of um, intersect in that I've, in fact, I do have my own writing community here, you know, with my colleagues and my uh, my students, graduate and undergraduate, so that, that really sustains me. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, just talking about this with Professor Schmidt, too, just about how, like, more so now being a writer is almost like a lifestyle I feel like or it's a way of being a sort of and I feel like the community here embraces that and there is opportunity to to live your life as a writer with with St. Louis being close with the programming and all the readings and you know we were we just were at um, a River Sticks reading not not long ago right. on that side of the river and just neat venues and there's a lot to explore I mean there's there if you, for artists it's a, it's a good place to be definitely Hello again, everybody. This is Grant Deem, and welcome to Writers in the World. I'm joined today by Professor Valerie Vogren from our MFA here at Southern Illinois University. And I'm asking her today uh, about her forthcoming collection of stories that won the Spokane Prize for short fiction. Uh, The Things We'll Need for the Coming Difficulties. Cheery title. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, And so, yeah, can can you... Speak a little bit about just what a readers, what types of stories are contained therein in that collection, any sort of like the thematic through lines that that you see or that you um, witnessed going through the stories. Yeah, can you can you prime sure. can you prime the listeners for what to expect? I mean, it's been an interesting experience over the last um, five or six months looking at those stories because I mean the book is forthcoming, but some of the stories were written. You know, ten or more years ago, and some of them are are more recent, of course. But so, kind of seeing what you know, taking a step back and seeing what things I I see in common, especially as you know, posing the composing the book, putting the stories in a certain sequence. So, I mean, in some ways, it's pretty um, nothing surprising, I guess. I mean, in that in that you know, anyone who like had read my first book or just knew anything about me, I mean, that the things that I write about are are not anything really out out there. I mean, families, relationships. Um, I, I see there's a couple of strands, um, in the book. I should, oh, I should also mention there's, there's a number of like kind of conventionally length, longer stories kind of with little, you know, flash fictions in between. So Mm. that's, that's sort of something. And I think I generally have a fairly dark outlook at the world, but when I see in the stories is that there's also a fair amount of humor, I hope to sort of leaven that because, um, yeah, I, that's sort of my personality as well. So I see the there's a bunch of stories that, um, maybe some of the older stories that have feature women and girls who are sort of setting off in life, whether it's in um, restarting their lives, picking up after some kind of a disaster of a relationship or a death in the family or um, a new marriage or, you know, things of that nature and then and seeing them navigate that new um, arrangement. There's I I had originally the story. This book was going to be called Conversations with My Landlord, which is a, one of the stories, a story in the book. And there was a, there's actually one other story that sort of fits that theme. But I've I was always really interested in um, 
I came from a long line of renters and I, I came, I was always interested in that relationship of sort of the, the tenant to the landlord and, and that weird sense of, you know, of, of, yeah, it's just a very unique relationship, yeah. right? That you're sort of bound to this person and they have a responsibility to you, but there's so much, um, possibility for disaster on either side right, of that. Right. Yeah. So I found that to be a really interesting way of looking at it. And then there's a couple of, um, stories that, are more recent, I think, in which they're featuring women who are sort of well into their middle years and are more at the place where they're, um, instead of looking, I mean, they're looking forward, but they're also looking back and sort of seeing how they got to where they are. So there's um, Mm -hmm. one that, the girlfriend that features a a research scientist who um, is accomplished, prize winning, but is looking back. I mean, she's sort of marked by this experience that happened to her as a, as a young graduate assistant and something that's kind of followed her all her life and, um, in a not pleasant way. And then the, that, the title story, things will need for the coming difficulties in which, um, a a professor again, um, who was a literary translator. And, um, this is after the the story is set in a kind of a post disaster landscape, not probably, I'm kind of imagining a place around here. Um, and so she's sort of looking at her, her skills, her, um, transferable skills to this new world and finding them sort of wanting. And so that this, there's actually these lists inside the story. And so that at one point she lists sort of like, you know, useful skills, you know, pie making, knitting, mending, (laughs) native proficiency in Spanish. But then she's like, well, maybe, you know, like there's not a lot of that around here. And then, you know, then she's looking at, yeah, things that, you know, the things that she would have been so proud of, um, like her distinguished proficiency in Catalan or her life master ranking her, yeah, at Duplicate Bridge or being able to order the best thing on the menu. You know, there's no more restaurants. There's no more colleges. There's no, you know, so these, what do you do, you know, and how do you justify your existence so um so there's a there's a wide range of stories but i think um i mean i i, I how paid... timely it seems I <laughs> well mean, that one that, yeah that, i mean yeah that tension right like this in our fast-paced world now these skill, these you, this you mentioned skills and abilities and yeah thinking about you know, it's weird. It's like we don't, in a sense, at least in my opinion, we sometimes don't know what skills we're gonna need. We're gonna need right, or we don't examine like the suppositions that go into the things that we value about ourselves that, um, you know, that may be irrelevant or fleeting or yeah. of not much use depending on where you end up going. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you. This is pivoting a little bit, but uh, you, you've been mentioning like the the women, the female characters in the stories, and I I wondered. Have you written, uh, have you, have you treated characterization differently as you've progressed as a writer or as you've moved through like your, um, writing career? I mean, I'm thinking of characters like Tally or Finn Sweetleaf and, and, you know, works that from your past. And I wonder, you know, how do they measure up to, um, and that's maybe not a a fair question because they're, they're different characters, so they're different, but, um, I don't know. Can you speak a little bit to... Maybe this is more a question associated with like your writing journey and how you've right. Well, it's funny because when I think of some of the main characters that I've worked with, you know, over the course of a of a novel, I mean, they're they tend to um, when I think of in other projects that I'm working on, I mean, they do tend to be marked by things in their families, in their family histories that you know some sort of trauma or some sort of I mean deep disorder um and yet as a as a writer so that so that probably those 
those characters are something that have remained the same of the kind of character that I'm interested in in the kinds of things that they're grappling with. But I also know that as a person and as a writer, I've become a lot more interested. I think when I was a younger writer, I was, I mean, psychology was sort of everything, you know, like how, you know, your family of origin shaped you or, you know, those kinds of questions because I was, because those things were still shaping me. I yeah. mean, and that they were, they were high in high, you know, in the front of my mind. But I do think that I have become more aware, I mean, in, in part just because of being a person in the world longer, but also, um, I guess about eight or nine years ago, my husband got a degree in sociology, and so I was reading along with him, and I just became a lot more aware, I mean, as kind of stupidly and belatedly, I mean, I was aware, of course, on a big level, but just in sort of the theory and of thinking about how how so many of the forces that shape our lives are outside of our control. So I know in the collection that um, one of your interests as it applies to place or, or setting is is this dystopian world. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to uh, why is that one of your interests? Why do you um, feel compelled to write scenes, write stories that take place in, in those types of spaces? Um, and yeah, what do, do you have a goal in mind when you create your, your settings and places? Um, yeah, anything that relates to that. Well, I mean, on the one hand, you know, it, it, whatever the cataclysm that led to, you know, whatever sorts of disasters or whatever have led to this dystopian landscape, I mean, are, are huge inciting incidents, right, in, in terms of, of character and, and plot that they drive the story. If someone's, I mean, your life cannot be the same. You are forced to act or react in some way as a character. But I think, so. It's a, it, but so for me, on one hand, it maybe work as as elements of, of science fiction or fantasy might work in, in fiction where you're, I'm defamiliarizing something, you know, so that we may think we know the character of a middle-aged professor of humanities, but, you know, as, you know, we, and we don't necessarily, so to rather than write the story or the novel in which, you know, that professor's sitting in her basement office despairing of the meaning of her work or her, the you know, like that, seems very self-absorbed too and too too close to home maybe but um but that if, if suddenly that sure. professor is forced into a world in which kind of just day-to-day survival is called into question yeah. um it reframes the the question of like what does a person's life mean or what are you good mm. for in a different way um and i also think then it i mean it just it a lot so in a similar way um in another project that i'm currently working on actually the story the character from one of the characters from that the title story in the book is uh, I pick her up again and she's she's traveling to visit her sister in a, a what was once an intentional community which is another interest of mine and um, and thought about that and thought about the things that would make sort of an intentional community you know people who were trying to live very um, sort of responsibly and, you know, creating their own food and living in a shared sort of, I mean, trying to sort of a semi-utopian sort of a thing right, and how yeah. how that is changed then because actually they become sort of targets in this new world because they know how to create power. They know how to generate like solar power. They know how to farm. They have a cheese cave, you know, where they store cheese. And mm-hmm. so, the, so they're now threatened in a way that they can't just sort of exist isolated they have to protect themselves or 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 not and so then this allows me to 
question these ideas about um about I don't know about refugees about you know people come to this community and they need help and then there's people of course in the community who who want help that's mm. the foundational sort of principles and there's people who are like hell no you know we have to protect our own you know and so but rather than taking on on a big geopolitical level that I don't necessarily prepared or have the experience to write about you know I have done research about intentional communities and spent some time you know visiting and stuff like that so I feel like I can speak to that like the kind of interactions between people um yeah in sort of that that way yeah yeah that's so yeah that's so interesting getting at those big questions you know that's one of the great pleasures and joys of fiction you know you can you can through a, a character a set of characters explore these ideas that sort of blossom and blow up and they they ripple and have larger meanings as it applies to like our day-to-day that's really that's really great i love how you i love that word defamiliarizing too um and just sort of complicating like the notion these these notions that we sort of build up or um right like we think we know the story already about this person right so oh that's great um does this work have a title yet this this novel that you're working on Oh, it's working title. It's which is not a very good title. It's called Sovereign Remedy, Sovereign. and I, which has to do with you know a kind of um, I don't think they actually exist, but it was something that was thought to be um, a remedy that would sort of cure all sorts of ails ailments, I, I guess. And so the the woman um, who the sister of my character it was a doctor and so she's sort of the the medic she gives the provides the medical care for this community um but they've been reduced to sort of back to more herbal medicine and mm. things like that i mean because they do they are able sometimes in their foraging runs and stuff like that to get antibiotics and things like that but um so there's just sort of a there's i mean i guess I just don't think the title will work because people won't know what it means, you know, and it won't, mm. like, necessarily trigger anything interesting, like, sure. sovereign, what's that, you know, but I, I am interested in thinking about about healing, um, both on that personal level, like, there is actually a much greater threat of, um, you know, of just things like infection, of dying of simple mm. things, or of, of losing limbs because of, you know, untreated whatever, but there's also sort of this healing of you know, that, that bigger question of how do we imagine, I guess, the what next, if there is a next, if there is something that um, takes us out of this, um, the world of of today, you know, of what we have, all this technology and all of, you know, all the wonders of all that yeah. and imagining a world in which, you know, certainly I'm not alone on this, in which we're stripped of that. And, right. Um, no, that's so interesting. I don't know. I um, And I don't know if this is happening across genres or with other writers and their thematics but just yeah this idea of you know this this huge inciting incident right I love the when you talk about uh, elements of story like um and those moments and and sort of like these these moments that you see that that, that should be part of story that you at least read in in, in right. stories and um I don't know it just got me thinking about uh, today and technology and like this huge large grid and how in a way, like, something like that uh, could happen, you know, um, in terms of, it wouldn't be a full-blown dystopia, maybe, but just suddenly sort of being, uh, having this huge resource sort of cut off. I mean, we do so many things now on the phone, right, like recording or uh, buying things or directions or any communicating. I'm just thinking about how that's sort of wrapped up in that, and I don't know. Well, and people really don't, I mean, I know that there's a lot, this, 
there's many people now who feel sort of an urgency to reclaim like their ability to raise food and to yes. have responsibility for those kinds of basic things of you know being able to having practical skills mm-hmm. but i mean I, I look around the university and i see people who aren't going to last very long in general because <laughs> i have you know I turn on the faucet, right? You know, I, I buy my food and it may be locally grown, but it wasn't grown by me, you know? Right, and so yeah. how would we actually, you know, you just take so much for granted, you know? Absolutely. But, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by these intentional communities as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to, to follow up on, on, on ones that you've studied or mm-hmm. just interesting things that you found out about them. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, okay. I do have one more question and, um, we've been sort of getting at it in talking about the work, but, um, sort of looking over your body of work to this point, like, and I guess maybe this is more of like another, again, like sort of a writer journey question. Do you feel that, um, you've, you've changed drastically as a writer from when you first started, maybe when you first started publishing till now, so maybe not taking it as back as, uh, like before grad school or something like that, but... Um, do you feel like you've, you've departed from certain elements or interests that you had when you were first writing and and getting published? And I think that it's, I think in some ways I more recently coming back to where I started from, um, the kinds of, which is to say that I'm most interested in writing this kinds of stories that made me a reader and make me want to be a writer to begin with, you know, where I had, I mean, so in some ways, I guess I've come to accept and embrace the fact that, I mean, there's something conventional about, um, my, about my approaches that, I mean, I, I fall in love with characters. I want mm-hmm. to read something that's character driven. I want to have beautiful sentences and I, I will certainly in stories, you know, have innovations in terms of structure or point of view, yeah. but especially in, you know, longer work and looking ahead that, that I don't feel like it's, I feel like I want to remove obstacles between what I write and the reader so that some of the things that maybe as being an academic and thinking about literary writing that I allowed myself to sort of be um, seduced by by things that were really that were smart or clever or interesting or innovative and privileging those things over like wanting a reader to be engaged and know what's going on and be able to just read you know read the um you know one or turn the page like a page turner like Mm. um i know david wright mentioned that the other day in conversation that i just feel like i want to i want a book that smart people um but who aren't just you know professors and creative writing students Mm -hmm. and things like that but i mean that smart people will will keep them up at night you know when they're when they when they're reading for pleasure i mean the idea of reading for pleasure and also but but not wanting to yeah so removing obstacles and um and just that joy of storytelling and of, of entering new worlds and all of those things that I don't know, um, yeah, I don't think should ever be under undersold. Yeah, I feel like, I, just in my experience, it's like I feel like I can lose sight of those sort of key things. That's why, that's what brings me to a piece or, or, a, or a novel. It's that I'm, I'm expecting to have this experience that will bring me joy just to, to put that sort of uh, catch-all word on it. And I... 
I don't know. Sometimes with, with me and with young writers, maybe in general, it's, I think, like I have an idea of, of what I, like the type of story I should be writing or, you know, um, including enough sort of literary or what I'm seeing as like innovative moves, you know, and, and I think that those are, those are still good questions to have, especially for a young, young, young writer and, and one who's much less experienced than you. But I feel like at some point, you know, that could lead the writer to make something that's not really the story that they want to tell. Well, and like why, I mean, the, 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 you can't assume the reader's interest, you know, yes, and yes. it's that's such a, I don't know if it's short-sighted or egotistical or what, but like what are you doing on the page to guarantee that the reader goes from page one to page ten? And I don't know, yeah, and but I mean, again, that has to do with making there's not one right answer to those question to that question or or what kind of audience one should write mm-hmm. for. I'm only speaking to like I'm looking for a wider audience. I'm looking for um I just I don't um and I think that if if a person feels like they have a very you know a very specific kind of voice or structure or that that makes their writing if what we might call less accessible to mm. people who it's for whom it's just going to be too weird or not like too difficult well that's good i mean that's fine that's as long as it's a choice mm. but um i just think picturing that reader picturing someone actually you know looking p- picking up your story and what is the look on their face you know yeah. what is happening to them as they're reading it you know? yeah no that's great I mean, yeah, I, I love that idea of, of access, and I mean, it gets me thinking about, you know, it does get me thinking about audience, and I, I hear all your points about, you know, not, you can't assume what their interests are going to be, but you should be trying to make something interesting, you know, still, um, in a way, right? And I wonder how much you think about audience, or how much were you thinking about audience maybe when you were revisiting um, the stories that are in the things we'll need for the coming difficulties? Well, I... I think as I was going back and reading them and revising them, I did make a conscious effort. I mean, I did get some really good um, notes from my editors as well, but thinking about that in terms of the difficulty, that there were really some things that were just like dumb things looking back where I didn't have... um, like clear temporal markers, you know, like I, I, I write, like say there's stories that are segmented, right? Mm. And so with big gaps, like use of white space, moving through mm. time and space, but just wouldn't give the reader sort of the courtesy of sort of saying, it's Wednesday or three weeks later. Yeah. I mean, and I think that in some ways I must have thought that that was literary, you know, like that, oh, because you're giving, you're engaging the reader, and this is true, and, you know, and having to make meaning of the text, but I want them to be making meaning out of the characters, the way that they're acting and reacting. I don't right. need them to be muddling over who's who's on first, you sure. know, kind of yeah. thing, you know, and what's happening when. So that was just my main guiding principle in revising oh. was to just make the stories more readable and and tightly written so that the questions that I was hoping to raise would be the things that the reader would be puzzling over and not like wait how who's why are we here what happened Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah no and I know that in writing tight crisp prose has been has been a skill of yours you know since you've been publishing I know like on the book jackets there's that that always is in there in the comments and well it was embarrassing then to sort of see that I had these stories that you know had been published and you know won prizes or whatever but still like were sort of um, unnecessarily muddled right I wonder though if some of that like does do those I don't know do those preoccupations does that have something to do with 
the time in which these stories were written. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if that. I hear your point about the, like the temporal markers, and I think I would appreciate that if I was reading. But maybe if I picked up that book, when it was first published, maybe I wouldn't have the same question. I don't know. I I, I wonder how. I guess, the larger question there is how like, how time I guess affects form or affects choices in in language or craft or I mean like you talked about utilizing that white space and and I don't know maybe that's a, it, maybe that's something that's not as important now or I'm not sure I don't know that's a good question I mean I, it's part of it is a matter of taste part of it is probably a matter of of fashion but it does seem like right now we're actually in a you know things are being published of such an incredible variety mm. so that things that mm-hmm. would have once been considered um, inaccessible and, and too postmodern are being published and sure. finding audiences. Yeah. But I also think that there's still like big novels, you know, historical novels, yeah. big juicy, you know, things like that are still being, uh, being published too. And there's a lot more classing of genres and a mm-hmm. lot less firm definitions of what is literary or what is genre and um and that's really good to see and i think you know kind of circling back to our earlier conversation a very good time to to be becoming a writer and to start one's journey because there's not as many limitations of the kind of thing one should be writing right absolutely that's like a perfect perfect place to start Hello again, everyone, and thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Writers in the World. To read some of Professor Vogren's work, visit siue.edu forward slash tilde v. Vogren. Be sure to tune in next week when I sit down with fellow classmate and writer Lindani Mamani to talk about her journey to SIUE. We discuss theme, family, storytelling, and the ups and downs of creating fiction.